0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with
1: Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Bernie Siegel, world-renowned surgeon and best-selling author of Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, welcome, Bernie. You know, you've know you been on this podcast a couple of times, and you know I always find an excuse to talk to you. It's just fun hearing your stories and just your outlook on life. And uh, you already know my mission, which is very similar to your mission. And so I'm excited you're here. So I just want to introduce Bernie Siegel. For those of you, um, he's before many of your times, not before my time, but it might be before your time. Bernie, what year was your book published, Love, Medicine, and Miracles?
0: Yeah. When?
1: What year was that about?
0: uh i think it was the 1980s Maybe early 80s yeah
1: Yeah. i remember reading the book in college it really helps huge paradigm shift in medicine about how to connect your own healing capacity then you've published a couple other books correct
0: oh god yes yeah i mean the thing it, it shifted my life because i only had one c in college in creative writing oh you did and with my sick, crazy sense of humor, I wrote to the college telling them to raise my grade to a B now that I have a bestseller and then I'd be summa cum laude graduate. I thought they'd laugh and thank me for making them smile. But they sent me this, you know, serious letter about inability to change grades after graduation. <laughs> I felt sorry for them. Um, but it, it, you know, that what I learned was to just let it flow. Let's put it that way. And also, you know, that statement the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance by uh, Jung, a person came up to me after a lecture said, why don't you write a book and save yourself all this trouble and traveling? I said, cause I'm not a writer, I'm an artist. I'm literally a painter. And he, he got people together You know, most of it was coincidental. He would talk to people. And boom, he had three or four people. They met with me. So I sat down at a tape recorder. I didn't write anything. I sat there for hours talking to the tape recorder. You know, everything. And then somebody typed it and put it together. And it was nice with my wife because she could read it and say, that doesn't sound like you. So the guy would edit it and make it sound like me. And then the book came out. Okay, I mean, now I'm more able to write because I don't think about it so much, if you know what I mean. Right. It's like I talk to the paper. It just let it come. Yeah.
1: You know, I have the same issue you do. I also get a C in creative writing in college. I barely passed it. I hated writing in college. And now I just enjoy it. I don't know how that transition happened. But if I try to think about what I'm going to say, I can't do it. I just freeze. It's interesting. So I want to jump into today's topic, though. It's a really serious topic for me, and I think it, it goes along, and Bernie's been a personal inspiration to me for a long time because he recognized, well, I mean, it's been around for centuries, so that the essence of healing is the patient-doctor relationship, and what's happened in my 40 years in medicine, and I'm sure Bernie's seen it worse than I have, is that we don't talk to our patients anymore, and what we what medicine, the business of medicine, doesn't seem to understand, and doctors and the public seem to accept this, that it's okay just to treat symptoms, but the body reacts to cues. They react to cues of feeling safe versus feeling threatened. Your patients don't feel heard. They don't feel safe. But also, if you don't listen to the patient, you actually don't know what the problem is. Right. So how can you solve a problem if you don't know what it is, right?
0: Well, and just the opposite is going on. I've had letters and doctors saying they're capping my salary because I spend 15 minutes with a patient and the department averages 12 minutes. Right. And I would always write and say tell them to look at the health of your patients versus the other patients. And right. they'll see you're costing them less because their patients don't need, you know, help all the time than the other doctors. So you know, you have to show it and well, let me tell you a true story. A woman came in who was having surgery regularly. I mean, I looked at her chart, I couldn't believe it. Every year, two or three operations. And I thought this is an emotional issue, not a physical one. She's punishing herself by being cut up every year. And I said to her, she sat there in front of me, this is not a surgical problem. You know, you are driving doctors crazy, so they finally operate on your knee, fix your hemorrhoids, whatever it was you would complain about. I said, I won't operate on you, but if you wanna come and talk to me, I'll help you get your life in order. And she gave me a look like, oh, you SOB, you know what I'm doing. And she said, all right, I'll come. And she started coming. I get a letter from the insurance company. We don't pay surgeons for talking. That's literally what it said. Really? I back to them. I said, look at the last year and see how much money I have saved you by talking versus how often she was having surgery. And the letter came back saying, okay, keep talking. Um, at least that guy had a sense of humor. So they could see. But, but that is such an enormous problem, listening to patients, helping them. And and the other is that we separate people. We chop their heads off and send them to psychiatrists, and their bodies go, you know, to the internist, cardiologist, whatever. Um, and people aren't in pieces. I wrote articles for medical journals about drawings, about psychological stuff, things that Jung said a hundred years ago. Right. You know, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but doesn't help the patient. There, the key thing is the story. Right. So I would say to people, what are you experiencing? What are you going through? And the words that came out of them helped them get their life in order. And literally, I mean, free of pain in five minutes, when a woman said, who's about to be admitted to the hospital with severe migraines, oh, it's pressure. So we meditated and talked about pressure, relieving it. And the nurse said to me 15 minutes later, it's her marriage. She's on the way home. The headache's gone. And she's going to go work on her marriage. Wow. That, and I have to tell you one more that impressed me was the word failure, she had cancer. I said, what are you experiencing? Failure, how does that fit your life? Well, I am, my body failed, I got cancer. I said, that's not my question. How does it fit your life? Oh, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must've been a failure as a child, you know? And what Thank a study you. show? Um, Harvard students, did your parents love you? No. had suffered a major illness by middle age. Right. 24% of those who said yes. So that's a
1: very it's a very famous study that are like a 50-year follow-up on this. And if you aren't happy in college, the chance you're you're you died on the average of 10 years earlier. It wasn't subtle. Yeah. It's unbelievable.
0: And and you know, if you grow up with love, it's all the difference in the world. You know, your self-worth, self-esteem, how you take care of yourself, all those things. Well it's hard for me to stop, keep telling you stories. I had a young lady in my office saying, and and this may sound crazy, but people need to understand the patients knew I was not a normal doctor. So many patients came to me, not for surgery, but because they could talk to me because I wasn't a normal doctor. Right. I was sitting there and she said to me, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. (laughs) <laughs> Since that day, I've been adopting suicidal people and others, and they're alive today. Right. I mean, the thing that was funny this year, because I, I keep turning my head to look at the card, I keep it near my desk. I On Father's Day, I got, you're my bonus dad card. So now I'm not just a CD, I'm a BD also. But people are alive today because I said, I love you. Right. God,
1: yeah. But Bernie, here's here's what I want to reframe for a second. So I really want to go after the stories in a second, but here's the deal. So when you feel comfortable with your doctor, doctor, or any provider, for instance, you create a profound shift in your body's physiology. Right. So we you feel safe, it's oxytocin, dopamine, anti-inflammatory chemicals, GABA drugs, all sorts of stuff happen when you feel safe with your doctor. So what you're doing, what you call love, is actually safety physiology. And when you feel threatened, you feel, oxygen, you feel adrenaline, cortisol, inflammation, you feel agitated and anxious. And that's what happens when you're in a sustained state of fight or flight, people get sick. And we know that chronic stress actually causes inflammation. And what we've done, we've coined a term called dynamic healing is that when your stresses overwhelm your nervous system, then you develop symptoms. Yeah. So the goal is, that if you can find ways to teach people to create safety, you can't, also, you can't solve all your stresses, but you can increase the resilience of your nervous system. You can change the way you view life. You can actually control your body's physiology.
0: Monday morning syndrome. You know, we What's have that? heart attack, strokes, suicides, and illnesses on Monday.
1: I'm sorry, say and that again?
0: Again, this is what taught me about healing. People who were told you had a few months to live well, let me tell you one, the landscaper, I told him after I operated on him for stomach cancer, you need more treatment. He said, if I got something, what'd I forget? It's springtime, gonna go home, make the world beautiful. So when I die, leave a beautiful world. Six years later, he was in the office and I told the nurse, you're nuts. That's, we got two people with the same name, he's dead. And she said, open the door. <laughs> so I opened the door and there sat my friend, John. I have a hernia from lifting boulders in my landscape business. Now, you say, why didn't he die? He went home to make the world beautiful. And I could, you know, spend the next hour telling you stories about people who went to die. And when I called up to say, why didn't I get called for the funeral? Oh, it's so beautiful here. I forgot to die. That's a quote. You know, right. so it, it was helping people. And this was another quote that might change some doctors like it changed me. I went to a medical meeting, I thought, in Connecticut. I get into the room, it was for cancer patients. I thought this will help me help cancer patients. That's what he was teaching. I was the only doctor in the room of 150 people. Wow. I couldn't believe not a single other doctor comes to learn something about what the patients are going through. Patient sitting next to me was mine. I didn't realize how much a compliment it was that she was sitting next to me, not on the other side of the room. And she said, you're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between office visits. That changed my life. I said, okay, I'm not gonna focus on curing people. I'm gonna help them live. And when I came back to the office on Monday, this was a weekend workshop, one of my intuitive partners said, you're gone. I said, what are you yelling that at me for? He said, you're not the same person you were Friday you're gonna quit surgery. And he was absolutely right. And may I say, when I painted a portrait of myself, when all our pets and children ran out of the house because they were sick and tired of posing for me, (laughs) I put up a mirror and they all turned around and went back in the house. I painted myself in surgical garment, cap, mask, and gown. So if you came to visit me tomorrow, you wouldn't know who that painting is of. You don't see me. Right. And and It became it took me a couple of decades to realize what you need to call that pain thing is the cover up. That you're burying all your pain, all your feelings, all the things you can't cure and fix and you're in pain. So when I learned to help people live, I always had something to offer them.
1: So here's what I want to hammer home and this, and I'll even have another podcast to hammer this home with you because, okay, look, so when your stresses overwhelm your coping skills, you develop symptoms. And if you, if you treat only the symptoms, but you're going back home to abuse your relationship, it doesn't matter. So right. the root cause is the stress overwhelming your nervous system and you're in threat physiology. So it's not psychological. It's how you process and view the world. So if you view the world all the time as dangerous, then your body's always in fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you can't heal because you're using resources just to survive. And when you flip that paradigm, I know we'll talk about this in a second about your exceptional cancer survivors group. I don't know. This is actually high school science class. I'm sorry. I'm going to be really blunt here because in high school, you learned if you felt threatened by a dog or a bully or whoever it was, your heart raced. We knew about adrenaline and cortisol. We knew about fight or flight. That's how the body responds. 90% of all the symptoms in your body are from being under some type of threat, either mental or physical. And so what a doctor's role is, is to help calm people down. That's what healing is. And when we're treating just the symptoms, we don't address that root cause of the mismatch between your stresses and your nervous system, we're not doing anything.
0: The trouble is our training sucks. You're trained to take care of organs, not people. And that's why I started to say a minute or two ago, when I sent articles to medical journals, they came back saying it's interesting, but it's not appropriate for a journal. Right. Then I sent it to psychiatry. It came back again saying, "Yeah, it's appropriate, but it isn't interesting." And that's the part I found. Again, the AIDS epidemic and other things similar to it. The psychiatrists wrote articles about an immune competent personality. They. The infectious uh, about a what? doctor doesn't. I'm and sorry, say
1: that. I missed I miss that. Would you assume just say that?
0: competent personality? Okay. All right. He wrote an article where he listed about 11 things that those AIDS patients who were like that lived longer, got recovered and so forth. But if you went to the infectious disease doctor, he doesn't tell you what their personality is like. He tells you what drug he's giving them. So that's the craziness behind it. The mind is incredibly powerful. I mean, my patients at Yale were called Siegel's Crazy Patients. And first, that was a negative statement. Then it became very positive because they didn't have reaction to chemo. They didn't react to radiation therapy. Um, They wake up from surgery and the nurse would say, your patients refuse pain medication. I said, they're not hurting. How could that be? Um, but that's where they were at. And then it became a pleasure to take care of them, you know, rather than getting phone calls saying, I thought the radiation machine was broken. Then I saw your name in the chart. So I knew it was a crazy patient. And, and, and they, well, this is a quote from an oncologist. This is a woman. He said, I expect her to die in two months. Like her doctor told her she would, but I know you and your crazy patients. So I'll give her hope. Six (laughs) months. Six weeks later, she was in complete remission.
1: So let me hammer this home again. So we know sustained exposure to inflammatory markers kills people. So there's a paper out of Austin, Texas, that shows that hope, a sense of control, a sense of community, and um, let's see, what was it? And a positive attitude, actually are anti-inflammatory. Right. And lack of those causes inflammation. So again, not psychological, it's physiological. We now know that what we call anxiety is actually inflammatory, just inflammatory markers.
0: Let me just say the simplest question to help everybody is and how would you answer this? You get a call from a friend or a family member tomorrow asking you to do them a favor. Okay. And you don't want to do it. What do you tell them?
1: I'll probably find a way to do it.
0: Yeah. Right. That's not survival behavior. No. You see? And right. that's what we need to teach people, right. You can ask for yeah. help and you can say, no, if you don't want to help. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And I mean, essentially a sense of control is a big deal because again, the reason we need fight or flight to survive. Um, there's a friend of mine, Bruce Lipton, who pointed out really clearly that anxiety and anger are hardwired circuits. Right. The same circuits that my cat and your dogs have. You have cats and dogs, right, Bernie?
0: Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, they're pretty darn, they're pretty darn smart they figure things out, they have a consciousness to some degree. They don't have language, so they can't do abstract thinking, but they definitely have a consciousness. So, But when they're threatened, there's an automatic neurochemical reaction that allows them to survive. Then we have a chance to rest and take a nap, they do. So the essence of healing is being in safety as much as you can, because you have to regenerate. Otherwise you can't survive when you need, because fight or flight is necessary, it's hardwired. And as Bruce Lipton says, to change those circuits, you might as well talk to the hard driver let me
0: interrupt to the computer. You again, okay, because you brought up animals. Okay. We had a dog who developed cancer. I took him for his visit to the vet. The vet said, while you're here, let me euthanize him, because I'd never seen a dog get sick recover. I said, wait a minute. I'm, I can't go home with a dead dog. I got to tell the children. So I called home. I said, we're going to put Oscar to sleep. One of our kids said, no, you're not. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't put your patients to sleep. You're not putting Oscar to sleep. (laughs) So I brought him home. And I said to myself, treat him like one of your patients. I began loving him. And we had plenty of other pets. And I really felt he was feeling neglected and rejected, you know, not getting as much attention as the others. So I petted him regularly. I even sat on the floor with my meal and ate with him loved him and i noticed after a few weeks he wasn't dying anymore so i let him out with all the other pets and the next time we went back to the vet he said i can't find the cancer anymore right. i've never seen a dog this sick recover right. and yeah see that taught me that what i was doing was real right because I think of the chemistry it changed in his body right to be loved
1: and again, let's go back to high school or even middle school. I'm just gonna be really sarcastic here because I'm you know I'm sort of pissed off about this whole thing, right? I mean, I don't think you're really <laughs> happy either. But I mean, come on. So when you re, so if the body didn't heal, none of us would be here. I mean, the body's capacity to heal from injuries is incredible. Right. If, you, if if every skin cut didn't heal or broken bone didn't heal, or your body didn't fight off bacteria, or you didn't regenerate, you know, if you didn't have a capacity to heal none of us would be here. So why not recruit the body's capacity to heal? That is not psychological, right? You're just recruiting. So if you, again, you can talk to me about feeling safe, but if you don't act in a safe way, it doesn't matter. In other words, what helped your dog heal, it wasn't the words, it was your actions and the sensations generated around that dog. It changed the body's physiology, changed the body's chemistry. So then you recruit all these anti-inflammatory proteins called cytokines. And you crank up the immune system. And that's what the body's supposed to do. The immune cells crank up and yeah, they destroy it, foreign bodies, right?
0: Yeah, and what I tell people, what's so fascinating, I say, read fiction if you want to know the truth. And, and they look at me. But you see, what happens is the authors are writing about what they saw. So in Solzhenitsyn's book, Cancer, um, The Cancer Ward, he uses a term you never hear from a doctor. When somebody gets well and not supposed to, what are we told? They had a spontaneous remission. Right. What does Solzhenitsyn say? A man comes in from the library in the hospital. He says, oh, I found this book in a medical library. It says there are cases of self-induced healing, not recovery through treatment, but healing. And it was as though... A rainbow colored butterfly fluttered out of the great open book and they all held up their foreheads and cheeks for healing touch. When I read that, I said, man, Solzhenitsyn has had cancer. He knows the inner truth. Rain- you know, you bust out of the cocoon. right? You spread right. your wings and the rainbow is harmony. It's just what you're saying. You right. see, your life is in order and then you get well and it's not spontaneous, it's self-induced.
1: So we have to um, come to an end to this part of the podcast. We're going to go to the second one in a second, but you just have to say one more study out of UCLA by Dr. Stephen Cole in his lab. They looked at the social determinants of genetic expression or genomic expression. In other words, the DNA gives us signals to the RNA to create proteins that give commands to create different types of wet cells and different chemicals and all sorts of stuff. So your body's full of proteins that create life. So the number one, so under the number one factor that caused what the production was called warrior monocytes, which are very destructive white blood cells, is um, social isolation. And they could do, there's 20 genes that determine the expression of this particular type of monocyte. When I say warrior monocytes, monocytes are cells that actually destroy the viruses, bacteria, and the cancer cells, but they also destroy your own tissues. They're like puppies. right. So so the second thing that set off this reaction, again, they documented it right there in the lab. They looked at the genetic code. They looked at the production of these special monocytes. The second thing was chronic stress. In other words, chronic fight or flight. Again, not psychological, physiological. And so what we're doing when you, and you and I can help do it, but the patient has to do it themselves. We can sort of guide people into connecting to their own healing. But again, I'm going to remind the audience, if you if your body didn't heal, none of us would be here. We just wouldn't.
0: Let me again give simple examples. that are, I mean, that's why doctors is so ridiculous. I read an article in a medical journal that uh, female hormones must be protecting women because they do better with cancer than men do. I said, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know his patients. Because I've had women in the office, and I don't make up any of these stories, I can't die, why not? I have nine children. I can't die till they're all married and out of the house. 20 years later, the last kid left home, her cancer came back. That blew my mind. How the hell do you control it for 20 years? I was sure she was cured. But at the same time, I had a man sitting in the office, wife and three children right next to him. I can't work anymore, what's the point of living? I said, turn your head to the left. There were four good reasons. And it was like I hit him in the head with a mallet. Oh, oh, the family. And one family, because we were talking about animals, I used 12 cats to cure a lady. The family came in. My mother has 12 cats. It stinks. We don't even visit her anymore. We'll get them out of there, clean the house, and you can start to take care of her. I said, no. They look at me. No, you get rid of the cats. Your mother's dead clean the house and tell her no one wants 12 cats mom then she can't die and boy they would come in the office for years with a big smile saying you know you smart ass thank you for saying that to us because it saved the mother's life yeah
1: i mean so anyway so bernie i did i really want to go into the second podcast here really emphasizing the need that what the modern medicine has done to us they have taken away from us the most basic healing modality is the doctor patient relationship and they have made medicine a commodity and without that basic link to your doctor the rest of it doesn't really matter in a way right one
0: more thing to tell you that i've done it because it blew my mind the first time i did it you got 100 medical students sitting in the auditorium i said everybody draw yourself working as a doctor Pass the, you know, drawings up here. One drawing showed equipment and no human being in it. 98 drawings showed, I'm sitting behind a desk with a diploma on the wall. No patients. The last drawing, he's giving a tissue to a lady in a wheelchair. Wow. One picture out of 100 had a human being in it, you know, a patient. And when I looked at that, it was like, oh, my God. And... That's what I would suggest to medical schools. When they fill out the application, say, draw yourself working as a doctor.
1: Right. And if
0: there's no people in it. Maybe you should say, I don't think you ought to be a doctor. You know, right. you got to change your attitude. Yeah.
1: But, but Bernie, as you know, the problem is the people in charge of medical schools are the ones that are taking are taking it away from us. In other words, universities have become a commodity, it's become production. The administrators, administrator sellers have gone up 3,000%. In 10 years, the doctor's salary, salaries are going up 10%. So right now we're working for administration. They're not working for us anymore. And they have completely removed that healing modality, but it seems sort of a soft thing to remove. So whatever. And so it's such a basic thing with medicine. It's unbelievable. So we got to run here, but um, I want to thank Bernie Siegel again. Um, he's been on our podcast multiple times. And we're going to really talk about this in the second podcast and maybe more about this thing about the doctor-patient relationship isn't just a small deal. It's the biggest problem we have right now in medicine is we don't have that relationship anymore. So, um, Bert, any final thoughts for the day? I, yes, really well,
0: I had my secretary send 100 letters to people after the woman said, I need to know how to live between office visits. I said, then I'll help all my patients. We'll have them come to a meeting and I'll teach them about living. Um, we sent 100 letters to our cancer patients And I said to her, you forgot to put in it, it's only for our patients. If they start showing up with friends and relatives, what am I gonna do with hundreds of people? 12 women showed up. Really? I I almost fainted. I'm offering you a better life and you don't even come. What was the reason? I could do it wrong. I could fail. What if I don't get well? Who has time to read a book? all that. And, and that's why my wife was one who said those 12 women are exceptional women. And so that became the name of the group, Exceptional Cancer Patients. But see, even just maybe this last comment, even when men would come to the group sometimes for a meeting with their wife, you'd say, why did you come? I'm her chauffeur. <laughs> if you asked the wife, why did you come with your husband? Well, I love him. I want to help him, you know. And And that's the sad part, you know, if you're living in your head, you're in big trouble,
1: absolutely. well, Bernie, thank you, and Gosh. uh this is wonderful, as you actually learned a few things again as i as I thought it would, so I, again, huge inspiration. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you and And I'd say what you see in others resides in you. When people would compliment me, I'd know those are survivors, if you know what I mean, because yeah. they could feel it in them and connect with me, right. Thank you.
1: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, for being on the show today and for sharing his insights into the importance of the doctor-patient relationship in helping individuals tap into their own innate capacity to heal. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www backincontrol.com
0: Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.